Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. Uh, today, I've been, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Brian. And today's theme is going to be a little bit different. We're all going to, we're going to be talking about search for biological family for adoptees and like doing a beginner's, uh, a beginner's guide to that because this is Brian's um, life, professional life. It's something that she knows a lot about. So rather than me introducing you, please, uh, can you, welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You'd like me to tell, tell you a little bit about myself and how yes. I came to be doing what I'm doing. I'm happy yeah, to please. do that. That's so um, my name is Brian Kirkpatrick, and I am a licensed and certified genetic counselor in the United States. And in 2016, I started a private practice called Watershed DNA. And through my private practice, which it's evolved into a blog and a private support group and um, a couple of other projects, I help people that are involved in family searches and family reunions, mostly centered around DNA testing. So DNA testing is the way a lot of people are identifying biological family. So we'll talk a lot about that today, and I'll answer any questions that you have related to that connection between DNA testing and the family search and reunion. Um, and I wrote a book called The DNA Guide for Adoptees with a friend of mine, Shannon Combs Bennett, who is a genealogist. So I'm happy to talk with you today about um, really any questions that you have related to this topic. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for coming on and sharing your, your, your time. And just uh, for the listeners, going to put a link in to, uh, to to that 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 book on on, on Amazon, uh, so that people can find it, and obviously a link to uh, Brian's uh, website. You can find out more about her. So, I did my search. I started my search about seven years ago, and I went down the kind of uh, traditional route, right? So I had to, here in the UK, you have to contact a a, a licensed intermediary to get your original birth certificate um, because they only have only they have access to these these files and then so you you get that and then you and then i then requested my adoption uh, which gave me my my biological mother's name and then i uh and, and then i've got my adoption file that took a little bit while so that's what that's what i did and unfortunately i found out that she died anyway so I'm going to take the. I'm. I'm going to pretend that I have done none of that, and ask you questions um, about if I was thinking. Imagine I'm a listener, thinking about doing this search for my biological mother or my biological family. Where do I start? What should I be considering? What have, it, what's, what have you learned from all the work that you've done? Those are all good questions and we could go a couple of different ways with it, but um, I'll start with just a brief summary of how I got interested in this area of genetics at all. So my grandmother was a kinship adoptee and in 2013, um, she became ill and passed away. And this was the time when we were a, uh, finally allowed to ask questions that we couldn't really ask when she was alive. It was very painful for her to talk about her past. And um, so 
uh, my, my parents and I did DNA testing and identified branches of the family that we hadn't connected with because my mother was, or my grandmother was not in contact with her paternal side of the family. And um, I, I began to be a search angel for other people that were using DNA to trace family and, and became involved in the world of genetic genealogy. And through being you know, involved personally, even though I'm not an adoptee myself, uh, being involved in this personally and then professionally and, and began to use some, apply some of my skills as a genetic counselor in this area, I realized that the searches for biological family can be really complex. They can be like roller coaster rides and they can have great outcomes. And it's not, um, but it's not easy for everybody to kind of get there. And what, what, what can help is um, getting started with a good support network around you. So my advice to adoptees who are thinking about starting on a search and maybe haven't taken that first step is to um, you know, talk with somebody else about it. Maybe it's someone in your family, maybe it's an adoption competent therapist who has a lot of experience with you know, the, the ups and downs of, of an adoptee searching and reuniting with biological family and really seek out somebody who's been through this before and has weathered some of the ups and downs of a search. So there are online support groups and there are um, uh, the, um, why am I spacing on the name? The, um, the intermediaries that are involved in helping um, connect an adoptee through the traditional way, which would be using records, using paper records before turning to DNA tests. Yeah, okay. So um, we were talking before we started about the, you know, the quality of the support network. So we see there's a lot of uh, very angry ad adoptees on, in Facebook groups. So um, I, we were talking about the need to, and uh, you know, you said somebody that has weathered the storm, but presumably what we want here is somebody who's weathered the storm and whether the, the outcome with the birth family has gone or biological family has gone well or not, they are, they have weathered that storm and you you don't what you, you we don't want to be taking advice from or getting support from people who are in a worse position than us and it and it seems kind of that seems kind of uh obvious but yeah i i see adoptive parents for example in adoptee groups saying i was thinking about adopting but i've seen how angry or you guys are in this group and I'm not going to and it's like well that's because you know you, you you're in you're in a group full of angry adoptees so you know you're swimming with the sharks so you're going to find sharks if you, you this isn't the right place for you to um to, to be so we need to be careful about who what the people when we're making contact with potential support people, how they're sounding or what they're doing, because otherwise, you know, we're in for, we, we, we don't want to, we, we want to, we, we want to get advice from the right and support from the right people. Yeah, you, you make a good point. And it's hard to know, especially if you're just getting started on this, it's hard to know where to turn for the, 
the best support and the best advice. And even starting with a counselor or a therapist, you might have to try a, a couple out before you find the right fit. So it's not, it, it's not easy for everybody to find their way to the right place, the right fit for them. It is worth it, I think, to try and uh, just go into it with eyes wide open that it's go going to take some work and, and um, self-awareness to just know what, what you're looking for. And if, you, if there are fears or anxieties that have stopped you in the past, there's there's, that's legitimate and valid. And finding, finding a way to work through those fears and anxieties before you get started is really, is, is an important piece. So we should be patient in the search, you know, and, and uh, you, you can start with um, somebody that you know and then follow it from there or an agency that you know or a, a local agency and ask them, you know, a word of mouth renewal, uh, sorry, a word of mouth referral in this sort of stuff is it's worth its weight in gold. Uh, and I guess also, you know, there's that. So we're talking here about patience, whereas in the world of the Internet, you know, everything's everybody wants everything so quickly. The stuff is available. The, the um, I'm sure, you know, the, the DNA things, it can come so quickly, but it's worth putting the foundation. What you're saying is it's worth putting the foundations in, in first and taking your time about the foundations. So take your time on the whole process, you know, so. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the DNA test, how that fits in to the whole uh, Yeah, how, how does that, uh, you know, so the, this, obviously there's, there's two ways of, of, of doing this search. You can go down the, the paper records route, you can do the DNA route, and then I guess some people do both, do they? I mean, what? Yeah, so in the past, before DNA testing was even an option, uh, adoptees who wanted to identify biological family would have to go back to the records, essentially, whether that was original birth certificate, adoption records, um, or sometimes, um, you know, family members would have more information and, and they would be the source. What, what happened for a lot of adoptees is they were not able to access their original birth certificates. And this is still true, depending on where you live, when you were born, what state or country you were adopted in. And so what those individuals had to do is find a different way that was uh, not relying on records that were either inaccessible or maybe were not complete. Maybe a birth father wasn't listed or the wrong birth father was listed. And um, the first person to realize that they could use a DNA test to try to track down birth family is a gentleman named Richard Hill. And he wrote about his search, which was decades of trying to go the traditional route and then turning to DNA testing. And his book is called Finding Family, where he documents how he, he used the DNA test. What we now have are multiple different DNA test companies that provide a matching service between customers. So do you want me to talk a little bit about Please, what yeah. those tests are? The main companies that offer these DNA tests are Ancestry DNA, 23andMe, MyHeritage, and Family Tree DNA. There are some other companies, but for doing a birth family search, those first two I mentioned, the Ancestry.com or Ancestry DNA, 
and 23andMe, because they have the largest database of testers, tend to be the most successful in helping match a customer who is an adoptee, for example, with other testers at that company who share DNA in common. What, what happens is you spit into a vial or do a cheek swab, mail in that sample to the test company, and it takes anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple of months for your results to come back. And this is all over the internet, all over email. You get email notification. Log into your account and opt into a family matching or family finder or DNA relatives feature at these companies. It's all, it's all called something a little different, but they, what they essentially all do is match you to other people who have, uh, who share DNA in common with you and, and they're listed in order of how close that person is related to you. Your closest DNA relatives will be at the top of your list and you'll be given some information about those people. It might be a username for them. It might be their real name. They might have used an alias or just their initials, but you'll be given some information about who that tester is. You're also given information about how much DNA you share. It might show up in terms of a percentage of DNA, or it might show up as a number called a centimorgan. And centimorgan is a measurement of DNA. And there's a connection between percentages and centimorgans, but essentially the more centimorgans you have in common with someone, the more closely related you are to them. The DNA companies also uh, will report a predicted relationship between you and that other person. This is where things get a little tricky because the companies are not always right. They're not always correct with that relationship they're reporting. If you are a parent or a child and your parent or child has also tested at that company, it will show up as a parent-child match. This is the only relationship that the companies do not get wrong. Okay. There's one exception. If your parent has an identical twin, it will match you to your aunt or uncle and call it a parent-child. But other than that situation, the parent-child match is going to be correct. Wow. In terms of, do you want me to keep going or do yeah, you want- please. Okay. Yeah, please, yeah, All right. That's nice So um, the other types of relationships that might re be reported are uh, first cousin, a range of relationship like third to fifth cousin, um, some companies will report, like 23andMe might report somebody as your half sibling. There have been issues with these relationships being incorrect, like I mentioned before. So we've seen first cousins show up as half siblings and vice versa. So you have to take the DNA match information. Uh, at, at first glance, you have to consider it a piece of information, but not uh, the final conclusion. So um, that's how DNA has helped some adoptees con contact or identify and contact biological family is they will identify someone who's a close relative and then begin messaging with them or communicating with them some way, either through the DNA test company service or through email. 
or through the phone, you know, or the mail. There's different ways that you can start to piece the information you get together. And the DNA test can be one way to get more, uh, more information. Yeah. So presumably these people have done it because they are open to people connecting them. They, they, they I'm, I'm just an assumption. So, um, cause obviously that's that next stage. D I mean, what, um, when, when the, when the contact gets made, you know, uh, are these, obviously it's going to be a variation of responses, but you know, is it, I guess the majority of people will actually respond, will they? I mean, what, what talk about, talk about that. I'm, I'm not obviously oversimplifying this, but what, what, what happens at, what, what tends to happen at the next stage? When, yeah. So what happens next can uh, be many, many different things. There can be many different outcomes. Someone might have done a DNA test because they were only interested in researching a particular, a, a, a certain line of their own family tree. And uh, maybe we're not aware of there being um, an adoption in the family having occurred, or maybe they're not, um, that's, that wasn't their goal of testing. And so maybe they're not going to be of much help. Receptive, yeah, you. yeah, yeah. yeah. I will say though that there are a lot of people who understand the value of family history and connecting with family and will be very open to helping an adoptee connect with biological family. You will, in some situations, finding out that, um, that there is an adoption in the family that hasn't been disclosed can cause a match to suddenly disappear or stop communicating. They've realized that uh, maybe they've uncovered a family secret and maybe don't wanna be the one who's involved to disclose that to everybody else. It might also happen that behind the scenes, there's a lot going on in the family now that uh, the adoptee is reaching out and has been found and is finding them. That is, from my experience, what tends to be happening more often, that when a match stops communicating after they have been communicating, that what's happened is the information's making its way back to the either the birth mother or the birth father who may not even, the birth father may not even be aware that they fathered a child in the past. Um, or even siblings might be finding out that there was a secret being kept in the family. There are a lot of different scenarios that you can't know are going on in the biological family. But when a match stops communicating, um, it's not a dead end. It might just mean that things are slowing down for a bit of time while the biological family is adjusting to the shock and um, so things are happening behind the scenes, even if you don't see it. Yeah. This, I, I was talking to an adoptee earlier on today and she had had a reunion and there were a number of siblings. Uh, so her parents, her parents had gone on and, and, and gone on to father, you know, they to, to give birth to, to, to some siblings and they'd stay together, you know, and, and the, the, so the, the reunion was going on, but uh, the, 
one of the parents wanted the adoptee to to inform the siblings of her existence the the the, the mother didn't want to do that herself with her own kids so mm-hmm. there there are some there's some there's no way you can know what's going to happen with this stuff it can be really really weird and you know it's opening a pandora's box you never know kind of what you're gonna find so expect the unexpected i guess right and for um i trying to figure out the best way to word this it's it's unfortunate that an adoptee would ever be expected to be the bearer of news of their own existence yeah um because they they were not involved in their own conception if, if i can put it that way yeah. that no one um no one is responsible for their own existence yeah. and um this should happen that's a lot of yeah that's a lot yeah, of responsibility it's, it's, to put on someone who didn't really it, have a choice in 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 being adopted or and there'd been a lot of comp there'd been a lot of this wasn't there'd been a lot of communication between there's a lot of been meetings between the uh, between the uh, the adoptee and the um, and the and the birth mother, um, uh, and then what was the other one I I found out I heard last week I was recording a show with uh, uh, an uh, an adoptee and she was in the late fifties or late early sixties perhaps and she'd met her birth mother, but her birth mother uh, would had been because she'd been told that she could not be the mother to this child it it it, it was so welded into her brain that she couldn't and she she it took uh, took 2 years i think for the for the um for the birth mother to admit the truth um Although the truth was, you know, it was uh, incontrovertible, I think is the word. So this stuff goes so deep that, you, you know, you can, the, the, woman, the, the, the birth mother is saying, you know, um, arguing that, you know, black is white, white is black. You know, they, they, it, it's, it was as clear as day, you know, they, they look, these women look the same. And all the stuff went aside, but but she she couldn't. It was so hardwired in. It, maybe the trauma and the shame was so buried. It, it, you know, the truth was so buried, and 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 she'd been living with it for forty years, or whatever. That she couldn't say this. So some really weird stuff goes on, basically. I think pointing out trauma and shock are a part of this process. Is right is spot on. I I read the book, The Girls Who Went Away. Not sure if you're familiar with that book, but it documents the the period of history that's now referred to as the baby scoop era, when unmarried women were pressured into surrendering a child for adoption that they would have in other times and other circumstances would have chosen to parent. And um, it was a period of time between World War II and the early 80s when there, the stigma against unmarried motherhood was so strong, especially in certain communities and certain cultures, 
that it was, it wasn't really a choice that women had and they were not properly uh, able to grieve the loss of their child to adoption and the law, the consequences of that, um, the trauma is, is so long lasting and has such uh, unresolved trauma can just ripple through an entire life that's being faced with facts doesn't, um, doesn't help that to yeah. change. And uh, support for people who are traumatized, including the birth mothers and the adoptees too, who find themselves um, on a path that is that's that can be very hard, especially if the birth mother is denying their existence, for example, or denying the connection. It's just I can't under uh, can't underestimate the value of um, really well-trained therapists being involved for everybody on every side of these reunions because there's you can't think your way through trauma you can't talk your way through trauma and a support group can only go so far and it can't take you all of the way that you need the support if trauma is is part of your history yeah um uh, there's no, as you say, there's uh, logic does not um, just just does not beat trauma. It does not, you know, it does not overcome it. It's not, it's not there. And I think the other thing for me is that there's a lot of people think that you know because we are looking at. If, if, if perhaps the trauma is, isn't quite as uh, adverse, we're, we're thinking that answering questions, finding these people is going to solve, solve the, the trauma, solve the problem. And it doesn't always do that. And also I'd say it's not always necessary. You know, there seems to be, to me, there seems to be almost two paths, or well, like a, an X and a Y axis. So the 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 kind of the healing that the, 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 there's a healing axis and there's a and, and there's a search axis, and they they do intersect, but they're not they 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 don't, or they may run parallel, but they're not the same thing. Does that make any? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the value of a search because I think that has brought healing to a lot of adoptees. So a search can answer questions that have, that have an answer and other people know them, but the adoptee does not. And I think that these are very valid questions that go down to the core of us as a human being. Who was my biological father? who was my biological mother. It's what we're learning from very many different sides is that these two pieces of information help build our identity and our sense of who we are as a person. And um, that is a very basic human question that a search could help answer. And that in itself can be a step towards healing if healing is is 
kind of the goal, if that's someone's desire. A search can also bring you into contact with people who might be searching for you at the same time. So there are many birth mothers and siblings who know that they have a, a sibling out there who is placed for adoption who are actively searching. And until you start the search yourself, you don't, you don't know that. They, they could have been searching for you for the past number of years and decades. So that's another valuable um, aspect of starting with the search is that the other party, the other side might be doing the same thing and have, uh, having that same desire to connect. And also something that comes up in the medic in the doctor's office all the time is family medical history. That's actually what was my uh, original prompting for getting interested in family history is realizing that we have the entire branch of the family that we had no medical history from. We didn't, we had no information. And as a genetic counselor, one of the questions that from the very beginning of my training, you're trained to ask about family medical history because that is an important piece of everybody's medical, medical history is what runs in the family. And um, that can be a really valuable piece of information that comes from doing a search is to find out what you might be at risk for and didn't have any idea or also finding out that there are things that um, do not seem to be in the family history, but should be things that your doctor checks out, checks you out for anyway. So those are just three things off the top of my head I can think of as being valuable pieces and reasons to search if you haven't started yet. Yeah. I was actually, very afraid of being rejected by my birth mother again. That's how I saw it um, uh, six or seven years ago. And so the reason for my search was, I'm was kind of, uh, I'm not going to let this fear worry me or stop me searching. So I was a bit, uh, yeah, we we. <laughs> Pig-headed, I think, is probably the way <laughs> to, 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 to describe it. Um, that idea then, so we don't know, you know, the, 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 the people may be on the matching, maybe have submitted their DNA to be connected, to be reunited, or for something completely different. And... There are so many, there are so many unknowns. I guess that's why we need support because as human beings, we're not particularly good at dealing with unknowns. I think the fear of rejection is very, first of all, very common and very powerful. And it is... Um, I lost my train of thought. You use the word pig-headed, but what I think really what it is is self-protection, that you are protecting, you were wanting to protect your own heart and your own feelings and maybe um, 
yeah but i went i went and did it anyway i'm just like my my i was like well i'm not going to be so i i when i'm telling the story often uh i think of a metaphor um that's particularly out in in, in the states so i've heard this story uh, people that who are in the marines um say that that obviously people in 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 different branches of the military look think their their branches best right so they look down and it's exactly the same in the U, uk as well so um it's like football teams you know it's everybody's got their favorite um so they really identify and and the, the people in the the marines say you know other other branches of the military run away from gunfire we run towards it right now I'm a real softy, sensitive sort of soul. I would never have gone into the military. But in, in that moment, you know, sat in that therapist chair when the idea of my birth mother popped into my head of her rejecting me again, I decided, well, I am going to run towards this gunfire. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this fear hold me, hold me back, hold me. I'm not to be going to be captive to this fear. So it, it's clearly, well, for me, it was an, an, a very emotional time. And from what you're saying, that is not that is not uncommon. That is probably the. Um... Can I ask you a question? Am yeah, of I course, yeah. to ask you a question on your sure. own show. I've heard from a number of adoptees that they were concerned that expressing an interest in biological family would somehow be hurtful to the parents who raised them, to oh. their adoptive parents. Was that a, a piece of? your story as well yes i i i did the search without my mother knowing i only told my mother about the search six months ago probably i don't know how long i did the search. i can't remember the search six years ago something like that i didn't tell my mother anything or, or, my, or my dad sorry my unfortunately my dad died just over four years ago but i, I didn't tell i didn't tell either of them uh, about it uh, and because yeah I didn't want to upset her yeah so that's that's another that's another piece of the piece of the pie but I I, and I only told her because I decided to start sharing my story so I, I started by guesting on other people's podcasts and I thought well if my mum hears me if my mum hears me talking about this stuff then uh, I don't want that to happen after have to tell her. and she she's she was she was uh she's she's very supportive she's changed that's i think that's one thing that i'd like to share with the listeners is that people's opinions on on, on this sort of stuff changes um some people i guess my mum got a bit more mellow about it some people can get more mellow with age some people can get more crotchety with age with these specific areas, you know, um, it, 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 it's going to be different for everybody, but you don't, you know, you don't have to tell them. Um, but, you know, that, yeah, we're into a whole, yeah. 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 We don't have to go down that, that route anymore, but I do think that, thank you for sharing your story because I think the other, the, the listeners who will hear this discussion and haven't started the search yet, but are starting to think about it, hearing that um, maybe some of their biggest fears 
probably won't happen can be the encouragement that they need. And also hearing that, um, you know, you can, it takes courage and that might not, you might not be in that place right now, but there might come a time, like for you, you said you were sitting in the chair at the therapist and it just, it was time for you. Like you just knew it was time. Other people have, will get to that, get to that point in their lives as well. And you never know what, um, when that will be for them, but sharing your story is going to help people get yeah. there. I mean, I, I, um, I, I talked to somebody about doing the search. Um, 12 years ago. And I didn't. Uh, I didn't do the search. I started the search six years ago and I got the original birth certificate with just uh, a biological mother's name. And, I, and that was enough for me. And then I think it was probably another year till I actually went ahead to get the adoption file. Um, so that's quite a lot of elapsed time. And, you know, I, 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 took, I took my time and I'm, I'm a big fan of no brainers, right? Um, if I'm not sure what to do, I wait for a no brainer. I don't, I don't try and rush it. Mm -hmm. I wait till something's a no brainer. Uh, because if there's some doubt about stuff, then there's other stuff. I will say there's a quote that someone once made in the online support group that I run, which it's a combination of people of, on all sides of these family discoveries, the adoptees searching and biological fathers and wives and siblings. Someone wrote, sometimes slower is faster. And that's really stuck with me because I think we forget because our world moves so quickly now, social media, internet, everything, texting, everything is so fast that we forget that it's okay to slow down and just sit with information sometimes. And we forget that the postal mail still exists. I encourage people to start communicating through, the, through letters if they can before moving to any sort of faster communication because it's really shocking and overwhelming and we need to let ourselves have the time we need to kind of sit and uh, process and, and uh, move slowly. Yeah. And it sounds like through all of those years from 12 years ago when you first you know, started this search Things were happening all along the way, even if you didn't, if you weren't aware of it, you were preparing yourself for that next step. Yeah, I think I say 12, it could have been like 14. So it's a long time, you know, slower is faster and sometimes slower is better. Yeah, as well. Um, and um, so, so yeah. Um, the... Uh, there's big issues here, so take um, take take your time. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share, Brian, or, or before we bring it into a close? I really appreciate that you've started a podcast. 
there are a number of people that have started podcasts as well. And I think the more that we talk about these difficult, the difficult, difficult times that can come up, the more that people will realize that's part of the journey and to not lose hope or give up faith that if you keep moving and keep moving forward, that things can turn out okay. And whether that means a new relationship or new relationships with biological family or not, you, you are farther along on your own personal journey and that's made it worth, worth it. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. The, um, I was talking to somebody that works in the, uh, the support organization that helped me with my search today. And so and there's a new series of the TV program, Long Lost Family, just come on to the UK. So um, she she was saying that they everybody in, in that works for them hates that show because they only they only show the happy endings. Um, and I would say they only show the happy endings. I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't watched it for a bit. Um, what I always see is uh, the love of the birth mother. That that's always comes. Maybe it's just my filter, but you know, and and that gets me crying in a good way, actually, because mm-hmm. I I connect. Uh, you know, I, it takes me back to to the letter in, in, in amongst my adoption file was a letter um, that proved to me how difficult the situation was for my biological mother, you know? Um, so she was in that baby scoop era uh, and it was, it was uh, 67, when, 66 when I was conceived and there was no, there was no, a, a, um, abortion option in, in 66 you know and she couldn't you know she she felt she wanted um two parents uh for for her child so um she didn't have she she didn't have uh she didn't have an option so the the um, yeah, but the, going back to the the, the, the search stuff, um, it, it's 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 a crucial part of the, you know it can be a crucial part I guess it answers some answers some of those questions. But what we're looking for is 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 uh, ultimately is 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 the healing in whatever way that happens. So a big step in my healing was that letter. Um, and then after the letter, I found out that she was that she died. People say, "Oh, well, I'm, I'm really sorry," and you know that you can do it. And well, yeah, me too. But it wasn't. Uh, that 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 didn't undo the healing that had happened. Reading the letter about how desperate she the the de- desperate her plight had been do you know what i mean it didn't undo it the fact that she you know that, that that she she died didn't um yeah it didn't undo the the, the healing that had happened the letter itself had a lot of healing power yeah right? i i felt her i felt her love and i felt connection it was a it was really it was 
pretty weird, really, because the letter had been obviously had been written like 48 years before. It had been in some kind of uh, strange uh, library or, you know, like um, a reference library or where they kept all these records in boxes sitting away. It was really musty, it's, you know, and um, but I felt the connection. I felt an incredible connection with her and, and, and most of all, a real empathy for her. And even bigger than that, probably, how, you know, I'd had this flash of anger that lasted five seconds when I uh, was really angry towards her. Um, and and, and uh, reading the letter, I was totally and utterly wrong. You know that that um, that's that that that, that uh, less than a minute of anger had been very intense, and it was totally wrong. I, I was I was totally off track. I was totally off track. And but it was a part of that. your grief. Sorry, it was, a, it was a part of your grief. Your moving through. the discovery before you could um before you could see her side really right yeah. i don't know um i i my the the uh, if my healing has been a a, a a a jigsaw of different with different pieces that's a big piece of it and it's a very it's a when I tell the full story about it, it's a very easy, it, it's very easy to, for other people to understand that part of the jigsaw. All the other parts of my healing jigsaw have stuff, has been stuff that has been just like um, throwaway comments or insights or aha moments that have happened just internally with me. And when I, when I share them with other people, they, they, they just, it just doesn't have any resonance. But um, that letter, the the rawness of the emotion of that, uh, the rawness of the emotion in that letter, and the desperation, it, you know, in the words, not just between the lines, means means the whole thing. Um, so everybody's healing stuff is different. But I, you know, you've talked a lot about hope, and you've also talked about trauma. Now my take the whole purpose of the podcast is hope mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> but and it's a counter to and it's to try and counter a world that's obsessed with the trauma and in my mind we have a fixation we have a fixation with trauma we have a very negative view of trauma as a society so if we look at PTSD, for example, people acute people uh, associate adoption trauma with PTSD. Uh, if we look at the incidence of PTSD in, say, war situations, eighty to ninety percent of the people that go through traumatic stress events during war don't get PTSD. 10 to 20% of people do. 
and yet it's almost you know see the military are doing more than they used to do and support's getting a little bit better um or, or i mean i don't know I, that's it's not right for me to comment a little bit better i don't know there is more support than there used to be um but we have a very negative world where uh, PTSD is is seen, as far as I can tell, it's it seen to be um, something that it affects everyone. Uh, well, it it doesn't. You know, this depends on the stats. Ten to twenty people get it. Eighty eighty nine people don't. But can you imagine a headline um, saying? 80-90% of eighty to ninety percent of com combat veterans didn't get PTSD. It, it just it wouldn't be a headline, would it? We have this uh, we have this negative negative media informing us negative you know all the anger on um, on social media from adoptees, all the all the uh, the trolling of people in the adoption space. Uh, we have a it's everything's framed in a really negative way. And it, it, there's not a lot of hope there. So I try to bring a bit of hope with the thriving adoptees. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I'm trying to do. I tend to hear from people who are struggling along the path and not so much from the people that are having smooth outcomes. So I, I want listeners to know that if, they need support and if they need help it is out there most people do not and if along your journey you are hitting some bumpy spots and the people in, around you who you're expecting to be able to step up and, and support you aren't doing that it might be a period of time to lean in a different direction and to re rely on different people than you have in the past until they can come along and be there as your support again. Brilliant and, point. Uh, yeah. A brilliant point. Yeah. Thank you so much, um, uh, Brian. It's been it's been great, and uh, it's been very, yeah, very informative for me. I, as I say, I haven't done this stuff before, so I hope the listeners, uh, I hope the listeners got uh, lots from it. And um, we we talked about perhaps doing a, a follow up later in the year for people further along there. The, uh, the journey or, or doing the struggling that would be that would be great um, i'd really appreciate if you could make Do it that. yeah it's been a great conversation thanks for sharing a piece of your story with me sounds yeah. like you've uh, been on a roller coaster but you're you're taking your story and and providing hope for others like you said yourself yeah yeah that's what it's all about that's all about thanks a lot thanks a lot listeners we'll uh, we'll see you again very soon